The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! per capita in Detroit. No, you're not even per capita. There's more good bands in Detroit than there is in any other major mother <laughs> city in the United States yeah, of America. There's a lot That's of bad there bands. To it. There's but there's still a lot of shit. We go on too. tour and bands open up for us. Boy, <laughs> most of them suck. <laughs> We're looking at this Mojo magazine here, if you can get this on camera. It's this Mojo magazine with their friends Jack and Wayne on the cover and they did this write-up about the dirt bombs and when I was on my way to practice to look at it, I ran out of gas because I didn't have any money. So that should tell you like the situation in Detroit. We've probably done more interviews than, than oh, people in our audiences. <laughs> Check it out, there's the Dirt Bombs right there. <laughs> what makes the Dirt Bombs the best rock? Because we have two volume. drummers. Because <laughs> we don't give a shit. <laughs> we we, we deal in front. volume. Yeah. Are the we don't Dirt Bombs the best rock band? No, I don't yeah. think we are yeah, the best rock best. band. I mean, that's, that's, there is no best. that's, that's the reason we are the best is because we don't think we are. <laughs> How much of this is gonna turn up on the cutting room floor? All of it. <laughs> hey! Hey! It's so filthy in here. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's just everywhere. It's invasive. It's, I'm feeling filth and grime in places I didn't know existed. What is that? You hear that? What? Oh God! Oh God! I heard this wait, right before wait. I came in. James, do you want to play a game? I would love to play a game. You know what? Look, I'm partial to Monopoly. You don't appreciate like clean rooms enough, so I. This is a very dirty room, and it, unless you clean it, there's an explosive device that's going to go off in 14 seconds. That's a very 13, specific amount of seconds. 12, I mean, normally, 11, t- see, ten, why are nine, you what? Eight. You skipped over seven, thirteen. Six. Uh, five. 13, you know what? I would love to play this four, game, but I'm gonna have to rain check. Three. Two, Can we rain check? Chase, that's not how it works. You have to play the game with me, please. Okay. Does the timer start over from now? Does it start at fourteen? This character is called Lonely Jigsaw. James, can you please play a game with me? I please. <laughs> I realize it's raining outside, and you don't you can't go outside and play. So you're trying to get like a board game night going or something. The, the other puppets in the in the other puppets forgot my birthday again. James, can you please play a game with me? You wouldn't think a puppet man would be like living in such filth. It's this tri- just this tricycle is my only friend. It's greasy. It's a greasy tricycle. Okay, the bomb's gonna go off now. Oh man. <laughs> 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 oh nuts. That was a that was a dirt bombs reference. Hi. <laughs> welcome to the Third Men Podcast. I'm your co-host, James Kaminsky. 
I'm your co-host, Paul Kavitsky, and this is a Third Band Records podcast about Jack White. And hey, Chase, we talk about so much stuff on this show. We talk about Jack White music and movies, and in some cases, James, ancillary bands. Yes, those that orbit friends, family, you know, Insp- the Jackalites, as we call them. Yeah, inspiration. Some of these groups, you know, we've talked about influences in the past. We did a Flat Duo Jets episode, and we did a Robert Johnson episode. We'll do more of those. These, this band we're about to talk about, James, isn't really an influence so much as a contemporary, although one of the members was quite influential to the Jack. And so this is a very unique topic. How do you want to tell the people about what it is? Should we tell them? Or should we make them play a game? <laughs> let's, yeah, let's Blues Clues it up. How Do you guys want to play a game? <laughs> That's an incredible idea, Blue. All right. Blue Skidoo. <laughs> we can too. Today's episode is going to be about the Dirt Bombs, Paul. Hey! Uh... A Detroit favorite, a an American favorite, an amazing band formed by Mick Collins, who was famously in the Gories, super talented musician, uh, a band that has had the likes of Jack's nephew, Ben Blackwell, in it, as well as White Stripes producer, Jim Diamond. Ah, friend of the show, Jim Diamond, yes. Yes, as well as contemporaries of Jack, like, uh, like Co Molina and even Patrick Keeler. So this band has had a lot of of things in common with the White Stripes, with Jack White. It's a super interesting uh, story to tell with a Mm. lot of interesting people in it. And I'm super excited for this episode, Paul. Uh, We're going to... We're going to have ourselves a grand old time, and we're going to get dirty. Let's get dirty with it, James. But before we get to all of that, Paul... Is there something we should start smelling, James? That's not the game I usually play. Um, <laughs> you don't appreciate your nose enough. Uh, is there something we should be smelling right now? Uh, yeah, Paul. I think I smell a fact. Uh, astounding fact. The most astounding fact. The most astounding fact is the knowledge. James... I think I smell a fact is the portion of the show where we expand upon a fact from a previous episode that we maybe didn't get into that much or which was elaborated on for us by you, the listener. And Mm. today, James, today, the year of our Lord, 2018, we have a fact courtesy of none other than... Brennan Smith chimed in. Smith. Yes, I'm glad that grew on you, James. I know you weren't. I knew you weren't thrilled about that at first. Happy to see that one's taken root. Basically, in last episode, episode 62, to steal album analysis and review part two, we talked a little bit about Blind Willie MacTell's run in with early record music archivist and uh, in a lot of ways pioneer and uh, in a lot of other ways raging racist John Lomax Uh, who interviewed uh, Blind Willie McTell very famously which Jack used an excerpt from on the tail end of that album uh, after Mm -hmm. the the Blind Willie McTell cover of Your Southern Can Is Mine. Anyway, James, in that episode you elaborated a little bit on who John Lomax was. For those of you who don't know what we said last episode, John Lomax, born 1867, died 1948, was an American teacher and a pioneering musicologist and a folklorist 
who did much for the preservation of American folk music. And uh, obviously there's a lot more to him. And obviously he did a great deal for the really saving a lot of early folk music from blues musicians and folk artists of the time. He yeah, kind of comes across as a, as a little lot of bit of a racist in his conversations with Blind Willie MacTell because he uses the N-word several times to Willie's face and is trying to kind of goad Willie into... He's, he's going on about, like, do you know any complaining songs? Which is really, really brutal to hear because he's trying to get Willie to say, like, don't all you black people hate white people? Like, that's what he's trying to get him to say. And Willie keeps dodging it and t- treats it with grace and dignity. And I don't understand how he wouldn't have punched him right in the face. But the the point being, Jack obviously felt the need to include an excerpt that did not contain some of the foul language. But... It was a conversation between Lomax and MacTell. And so anyway, Brennan Smith points out to us in regards to that bit that John Lomax's son, Alan Lomax, was also a big deal in the uh, folk and blues community. And he was around in the village during the folk boom of the 60s. And Dylan evidently looked up to him because of his music archive. Although, uh, as Brennan points out, he seems like a little bit of, I believe Brennan called him a dink. Um, and so, uh, I think, <laughs> I think that oh, was, man, the, I love that insult. I really do. Yeah. That was, the, that's the gist there. Apparently, uh, and, and again, this is from Brennan in the thinking person's Jack White group. Uh, he says, Alan pulled something similar like that while introducing the Paul Butterfield blues band at the Newport folk festival in 65 and as brendan points out he had no idea that his dad was big in the scene so brendan and we both learned something today but anyway uh if you never listen to the paul butterfield blues band by the way they're tremendous they're very very good Port did folk. you say carl butterball oh. blues band oh, oh carl oh. oh god not you carl <laughs> goodbye okay. goodbye carl Anyway, they're, they're very, very good. Anyway, yeah, so, uh, look, I, I'm not trying to just smear poop all over their legacy here. It looks like they did do some positive things for music, but, yeah, it's kind of uh, it's kind of hard to reconcile some of that uh, language there, and right. so uh, I won't. But, uh, yeah, he hung around till 2002, Alan Lomax, so he, he was a ripe old age when he finally kicked. Yeah, it's, I mean, by no means is the Lomax's history... Um, uninteresting if not problematic it's a it's a complicated and nuanced topic that i think you and i are not quite versed enough to sort of pass blind judgment over either of them no pun intended but when you do listen to those tapes it's it's a uh, it's pretty rough stuff but before we leave this segment james i just wanted to give a special little shout out here james last episode when you were describing the offspring of the triple tremolo you called him a tremolo little yeah I believe and so yeah a tremolo little which is which is all well and good, but no at no right opinion on Twitter suggested the term tremolito, which uh, hey, <laughs> I think that's pretty sharp. I like that a lot. So anyway, that's been when I reflect on that fact. Paul, that was a great smell effect. It smelled so very good. Now uh, let's say me and you get to smelling some amazing garage rock. I love I think that. I would love that smell, James. It smells like a dirt bomb went off in here, Paul. Let's get to <laughs> the episode about the dirt bombs. Let's get there. James, you dirty boy. <laughs> yeah, I'm just covered in dirt and grime. This bomb has gone off. Uh, mm-hmm. Paul, 
I don't know how much you know about the dirt bombs. Not very much, admittedly. I know that people love them. Uh, through our Jim Diamond interview, I have got acquainted with some of their recordings in that way. Uh, sound like a very raw, raucous Detroit group, James. And they're a, a group that was started in 1992 as a side project from Mick Collins of the Gories fame. Uh, now, Mick, for those of you who don't know, his background ex- extends genres. It's spotted with so many different bands. Uh, it's hard to see where one kind of begins and one ends, and it just turns into a big patchwork of just music. Okay. He's, Fair enough. He's obviously, like I said, a member of the Gories and the Dirt Bombs, uh, but he's also been involved with bands like the U-Boats, the Voltaire Brothers, the Floor Tasters, Man Ray, Man Ray, Blacktop, the Screws, solo stuff. His his music and connections just really go all over. He does techno, he does rock and roll, he does pop, he does punk, he does, like, all of these different things. Mm-hmm. And so, in, in 92, he started the Dirt Bombs. If the White Stripes are the Beatles of the Detroit scene, then the Dirt Bombs, I like to think of us as the Rolling Stones. Joe Louis Arena. Quote, Mick, I put the band together in 1992 as a side project when the band I was in at the time broke up. After many, many delays, including the now-legendary lineup changes and a 14-month stretch I spent in a completely different band, the Dirt Bombs <laughs> started recording in 1995 and touring about a year after that. Uh, that's via Thrasher magazine. Thrasher is a interesting skateboard rock and roll magazine. Um, <clears throat> Uh, the, Sounds extreme, James. Yes. Sounds very extreme. It's tubular to the max, Paul. Excellent. So um, this is all this is all centered in Detroit. Then is he a, is he a native of that region? He is a native of Detroit, and yes, this is centered around Detroit. And the 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 band members that you will see cycle in and out are all well known in the in the Detroit rock and roll world. I won't call it a scene since he he doesn't like the word scene he just thinks of it as music you know he's yeah yeah uh him and jack white seem to think similarly as we'll cover in a bit in a dutch documentary that both the dirt bombs and the white stripes were were in even jack white says you know i would hate to think that this would all just culminate in there being a detroit rock scene i think in that regard i i'm i'm aware of the quote you're referring to and i think he was speaking in terms of it, it would have some sort of like a hip vibe that is not permanent it, i think when he says scene he's really kind of saying fad yeah in a lot of ways and i think mick probably shares uh, shares some of that but one thing that was not a fad for that region was this hard rock which as you mentioned you know mick was a detroit local pioneer of and he even theorizes about that it's kind of funny in that documentary about where that sort of attitude comes from in detroit a lot of the bands that, that everyone equates with the Detroit music scene. They have a sort of an R&B or a soul bass, but they're playing it loud and punk rock-ish. But uh, Detroiters have been doing that forever, basically. You know, it's, it's nothing new to us to play soul records fast and loud. We've been playing music fast and loud as long as there have been amplifiers. It doesn't matter what kind of music it is. Yeah, they pin a lot of that scene talk to editorializing, again, what we do. But they say, like, it's enemy and pitchfork and all them it's it's them who are kind of creating genres and terms like detroit rock scene yeah they're just being a part of it so the dirt bombs were originally conceived of as a singles band mick really wanted a band that would just 
make a couple songs here and there, seven inches mostly, in radically different styles from song to song. He just wanted Mm. to experiment. To quote Mick, I don't think of the Dirt Bombs as an album band. I don't really care how the albums turn out. The Dirt Bombs is a singles band. We concentrate on the singles. To quote Mick again, I looked around to see what everybody else was doing, and I tried to do something as different from everybody else as possible and to still be a rock band. My chief hope Mm -hmm. was that it would make the band extremely difficult to categorize. Again, via Thrasher magazine. This is via The Guardian. In Detroit, everyone listens to everything. It was kind of a shock when I first got to the other side of the Atlantic and found that rock people only listen to rock music. That's f***ing weird. How does anybody do anything cool? Again, that was Mick Collins. To quote Mick uh, via Vice magazine, I've always been somebody who's always listened to everything. I've never had one favorite kind of music. When disco was around, disco and punk rock sort of overlapped. I was buying disco and punk rock records simultaneously because I liked both kinds of music. I don't make any distinctions between the kinds of music I'm listening to or buying, so I let everything influence me equally. And to quote Ben Blackwell, a a member of the Dirt Bombs, I think under Mix M.O., yeah, every Dirt Bombs album has to be different. It's just the way he works. I can appreciate his point of view on buying a disco record the same as buying a punk rock record. I have pretty, I mean, I think we both do, but I've got pretty wide range of taste when it comes to the pop music versus harder rock music, and uh, a lot of people get really snooty about yeah. it. To give an example to our listeners, in the same year, me and you were bo- both buying new records by The Flaming Lips, mm-hmm. The Scissor Sisters, yep, The White Stripes, yep. Just Jack, and mm-hmm. I, I was also buying Stone Temple Pilots and Smashing Pumpkins music. Like the yeah. the genre, and I was picking up M.I.A. and yeah, it it just kind of ran the gamut. Like we get it, I think. Yeah, we'll yeah, we get, I hear a lot of I hear a lot of that stuff. I hear a lot of rock fans talking trash. It's not your taste. That's fine. I mean, I don't. That's perfectly fine. It's just when people get like weird and stuck up about it that's when i tune out but that's anyway yeah uh but yeah mick is mostly responsible for the band's musical stylings in fact he made a list of types of records he wanted to do all the way back in 1992 he actually organizes the albums into different series such as the true dirt series there are three albums in that one then there's the some call it fur core series um (laughs) uh to quote ben blackwell again that's one of mick's things that he used with a lot of his bands It shows up sometimes on records, and sometimes it doesn't. And it comes from his love of comic books. There are Hmm. editions in a series. He has filed True Dirt under total and complete radio friendliness, while some call it Furcore are songs about comic books, and Wish We Could Have Been on Supersonic is glam rock 70s stuff. It's just a kind of bullshit thing he has fun thinking about. (laughs) Uh, But if you go on Discogs... You can see all the the different series are listed on Discogs, which is kind of interesting. And his love of comic books does, you know, pull through into things. I had no idea he was a big comic book fan, but to quote Mick, I collect comic books. I like Grant Morrison. I like his work. And also, we'll we'll find out a little later, Alan Moore has done some some work with with the Dirt Bombs in a, in a way. So, interesting what? stuff. Yeah. His Twitter is filled with comic book references and stuff. And so for any of you who haven't checked out his Twitter, you should definitely do that. He is at Broken Headphones. That's at B-R-O-K-N Headphones on Twitter. And it's riddled with comic stuff and music stuff. And it's awesome. For all that you mentioned there. And James, I just wanted to quickly aside here in the Jackiverse, what is happening in the 
92 to 95 sort of region is the goober and the peas era is sort of starting and yes he is a little bit older he's starting to join bands in the detroit area and while he hasn't started the white stripes yet uh, he is starting to take those first steps into a larger world he is uh, it's it's a whole new world <laughs> filled with lots of fun sights and sounds and aladdin references a young man who liked this lamp was more than what he seemed a diamond in the rough Perhaps you would like to hear the tale? Yes. The members of the band are kind of hard to tie down, being as they... They are very slippery people. Yes, they're just covered in, in Crisco. It's you, very you, cold out there. They have to do that yeah, to avoid hypothermia. To, you try to hug them and they just... Whoop! Right out. Yeah. Slip <laughs> slip right out like a fish. Um, the, Nick Collins did spend a lot of time in Detroit's historic Toontown district. <laughs> The members have changed a lot in the years. I think there's been at least 14 iterations of the band with uh, with different lineups, but it stays pretty steadily on a format of having two bassists or guitarists and two drummers. Uh-huh. Um, to quote Mick, it allows me to not sound like anybody else, which was part of the reason I chose it. That was the chief reason, actually. It forces you to work, and there were... There was a period where I went through a lot of amplifiers trying to find one loud enough to be heard over that din. (laughs) It has its own limitations, too, and working around them is part of the challenge in writing. I ostensibly play guitar, but I'm lousy at it. So all these things have have to be worked around. So this sounds a lot like, I mean, I'm not trying to to compare because it's apples and oranges, but uh, it's a similar mentality to Jack. Challenges Uh, to be worked around. Yeah, Yeah, but I mean, it's also a punk rock philosophy that you don't have to be dreadfully good at an instrument to get something out of it Um, that's kind of what that whole genre was built around and at the time mick was coming up you know punk was a big thing you know he's he's about jim's age yeah uh right so he was he must have been born in the in the 60s or somewhere in that region and so he was experiencing punk rock as it was coming out so i mean he's a he's a prime example of the success of that kind of philosophy Yes. To quote Ben Blackwell on on the the two drummers aspect, um, playing with another drummer is in many ways the ultimate safety net. On this tour especially, (laughs) which he was uh, talking on the Australia-New Zealand tour. So if my snare drum breaks or whatever, I don't have to worry about stopping the show. If the guy next to me is playing the same thing, he can carry on while I try to fix things. Um, (laughs) To quote Ben again, people keep talking about the revolving door, uh, in quotes. We had a group and a stable lineup, but no one noticed. It's the Detroit way for one person to be in a few different bands. Yeah, that's very Jackian, right? Yes. <laughs> he always talks about that whenever people gave him guff about the dead weather and the raconteurs. He was always like, well, I'm used to being in a few bands at once, which, as you say, is the Detroit way. Yeah. In fact, uh, they, they talk about it a, a, a little bit here. Everybody in Detroit's in at least two bands, at very minimum. Yeah. <laughs> That's the, those are the slackers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, you got a point. Like, there's a certain amount of people, and we're, like, very close-knit, and we all go to each other's bands, and it's, like, the same 15 people, the same 20 people that are in, like, four different bands, and it's not like, it's just because the city's dwindling, and the people who stay are really passionate about the music in the city. So. Yeah. Everything we do in the city. I mean, and that's, like, pretty much how any all of us got into the Dirt Bomb. Right. It's like, you know, there's a slot open. Okay. We need, you know, a guitar, uh, you know, a bass player. 
here are the 10 bass players you can choose from. Right. These, these folks are all home this weekend. Call any one of them and they're there. The band uh, has seen many faces, and this is by no means a, a complete list of people who have called themselves Dirt Bombs. But the, the most up-to-date list uh, of band members uh, is Mick Collins, Patrick Pantano, Co Molina, Ben Blackwell. Journalist. <laughs> That's true. He wants to, he's a collector. Yeah. Which he'll kill me for saying. Troy Gregory, Dana Spicer, or Eric S. Johnson, a.k.a. Wedgehead, Tom Lynch, Chris Facini, Scott Mikalski, E-Wolf, Shandy, or Chris Handyside. E-Wolf yeah. is uh, an artist who contributed to De Steel, if I'm not mistaken, but E-Wolf is a, is a Detroit-based artist. Sorry, I, <laughs> that one I recognized. Joe Greenwald, Jim Diamond, who is friend of the show, Jim Diamond, mm-hmm. uh, who we'll mm-hmm. talk about a lot, actually. He was a, a main mainstay in the band for a long, long time. Deanne Lovin, Dion Fisher, Nick Lloyd, Ryan Pritz, Tom Potter, Patrick Keeler, Andre Williams, and Zach Whedon. A lot of these names you'll have probably heard of before if you're a fan of, of Detroit music. Comalina has Co in the Knockouts. Uh, you know, some of these people are Soledad brothers. Some of these people are a part of the henchmen. You know, they're all over the map. Yeah, Comalina thanked in the uh, White Stripes' first album, I believe, and E-Wolf did the photography for Destile. Uh, as we know, Patrick Keeler was a raconteur. There's a lot of commonality between the bands Jack was involved in and the list of dirt bombs. Yeah, it's an as- astounding amount of people who are in an astounding amount of bands. In... 1995, they recorded their first single and released it in 1996. The single was High Octane Salvation. High Octane Salvation was on the uh, Sympathy for the Record Industry label. Uh, It was uh, Sympathy Record 423, so it was an early one. Notable for the distribution of the first three White Stripes albums. The album contained the A-side High Octane Salvation, written by Mick Collins, and Broken Detroit Again, uh, written by Eric Johnson and Mick Collins. The band is listed as Dirt Space Bombs on the cover, but it's... Uh, listed as the Dirt Space Bombs on the label. The band is the Dirt Bombs now with no space, so it's it's interesting to see that. It was recorded mm. on uh, on December 31st, 1995 at 54 Sound Studio. More singles were released in 1996, all geeked up featuring the song I'm Saving Myself for Nichelle Nichols number three, which I <laughs> love that title. Um, this that- is not the only time they've made reference to 60s actresses. There was one, <laughs> there's a song that's entirely about Ginger from Gilligan's Island. Um, <laughs> it's called Tina Louise, and it's just them screaming Tina Louise. It's <laughs> Well, that's uh, the ne- very next single, uh, <laughs> okay. 1998, Tina Louise uh, via Flying Bomb Records. Yeah. Come back to us. Come back to us and rid us of these cheap, talkless trumpets. Spelling. Tina Louise, Tina Louise, Tina Louise, 
than... It's just them howling Tina Louise a bunch. But I, I just <laughs> love that they're they're just making these odes to these these sixty screen actresses. These yeah, it's crazy. All geeked up was was released via in the red recordings and in the red recordings would become important in a second also in 1998 uh, just to get through this they also released stuck under my shoe via some assembly required as well as maybe your baby via high maintenance records but yeah la label uh in the red records uh, persuaded uh mick and the dirt bombs uh to actually release a full-scale record it's in the red uh in the red yeah in the red mm-hmm. in the red in the rain in the rain. In the red? Third man puns. <laughs> Sorry. That's the the way it should be. Yeah, it's Not the way it should be. me making some esoteric Saved by the Bell yeah. reference. So Mick decided, uh, and this is via Wikipedia, which got it via a uh, uh, liner notes. So I don't know if to trust that or not because I didn't read the liner notes. <laughs> Collins decided that if the band was to record a full-length album, they would treat it like a giant single centering on one musical idea or genre. They released their first LP. Horndog Fest. They released Horndog Fest in 1998. Now, that one was co-produced, I think, by uh, Jim Diamond, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that And I think that might have even been recorded at Ghetto Recorders. Uh, Jim was heavily involved in Horndog Fest. Engineered by Jim Diamond, recorded and mixed in Ghetto Recorders. You're correct. Swish. You did it. Thank you. And it was uh, released via In the Red, the Re- in the red Records. In the Red? Uh, Oh, boy. Sorry, Here we go again. Please, just Here go, we go on. Again. Just ignore me. Just ignore me. Uh, but yeah, it's a lot of rock ro- rock and roll, soul, and garage sounds. According to the In the Red Records description of the album on the we- on their website currently, the album is, quote, gnarly as f- debut album from Mick Collins' current group of noise terrorists. Twelve, s- <laughs> Twelve songs that range from blues, soul, punk, to hardcore to straight-up deranged noise. Oh, I've um, been searching for some way to describe the dirt bombs for a while, and noise terrorists is so perfect for them. That is excellent. It's very good. It's got some pop punk mixture in there. It's got blues. It's got rock. It had the song I Can't Stop Thinking About It on it, which was actually used in a Buick commercial in 2007 uh, and was later covered by uh, the the band The Romantics. According to Exclaim, the Dirt Bombs finally deliver their first full-length record after several wildly uneven singles. Ironically, (laughs) it's probably Collins' most consistent work thematically, with the topics of outer space not getting laid and the world destruction coming up over and over. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's definitely more, like they said, thematically concise, but their work does get better and better as time goes on. They get more uh, more polished. Uh, in 2000, in the year 2000, the band released two singles, Headlights On, via Solid Sex Lovey Doll Records, and they okay. also also released the single Brucia I Cavi via Hate Records. Also in 2000, they appeared on a split single with The White Stripes. Um, hey! 
So the White Stripes have already up and and started their band. Was that Handsprings? It was Handsprings. It was. Uh, hey man, I am sinking them tonight. The Dirt Bombs and the White Stripes were on a split record. The Dirt Bombs sang Cedar Point seventy six. Cedar Point being a roller coaster amusement park attraction, the White Stripes backed it with Handsprings. Love Handsprings. Handsprings is good. Very good song. Uh, I think you had mentioned it on our top, was it 52? Yeah. Yep, I did. Uh, and I will. And you'll continue to. Uh, Handsprings mm-hmm. was recorded by Dirt Bomb, Jim Diamond, and the photography uh, featuring Meg White was uh, taken by Dirt Bomb, Co. Molina. Cedar Point 76 was co-written by Jim Diamond and Mick Collins. The split record was released on Extra Ball Records, which is a punk garage label from Portland, Oregon, that was connected to Multiball Magazine, which was a magazine that That's centered right. around pinball yeah. and rock and roll. I remember this. I remember that. In fact, James, I think I did a little bit of research on this for our very first episode and then I abandoned the research because it had very little actually to do with that first White Stripes album, but <laughs> but yeah, the the cover for the thing is really cool. Apparently, it's a it's a rare find if you can get a hold of it. James, there was yes. only 2000 editions made of that issue of Multiball magazine. So this is a pretty rare record. They they were described as having a heritage of 10 years of, quote, questionable pinball journalism. <laughs> I don't remember where I got this. This is from, this is from like, my very first notes that I abandoned. I abandoned this set of notes, and now I found them here, James, because I don't know where else we'd be talking about this. But they, their heritage of 10 years of questionable pinball journalism with its familiar mix of pinball and indie rock music in equal measure, it's a curious mix with the pinball stories heavily outnumbering the music in the first half. That's all I got. Well, when I think of pinball, I think of indie garage rock almost exclusively. There's no other band I could ever possibly connect to pinball. I would say the Dirt Bombs and the White Stripes are the wizards of the pinball community. Um... (laughs) Really strong selections, though. I mean... It's yeah. pretty good. It's the only uh, single... I looked at all of the other things that Extra Ball Records has put out. It's the only one that I really would have recognized. Yeah. I'd be interested to uh, to hear any of the others. I'd be interested to get my hands on this magazine, because apparently there's an article about both bands in it, which I can't find. Uh, so yeah. there's a two-page article about the White Stripes and the Dirt Bombs. The Stripes are really ensconced in that scene at that time. I mean, there's so many familiar faces and overlap with these other groups. It's just... They're ensconced, Jerry. It's crazy. The ensconcement. No, it's this familial atmosphere Jack has tried to take with him and foster in Third Man Records really comes from somewhere, and it's remarkable hearing all these familiar names uh, attached to this other group that really would otherwise have nothing to do with them. It's just fascinating to me. Yeah, it's it feels like everybody knows everybody else, but it is a place in which. There are a set number of musicians, and they're all hanging out at the same bars and same clubs, and they're yeah. all willing to play music with one another, it seems. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, <laughs> everybody has some kind of idea yeah. of what Detroit is like. It's all some weird thing that they, you know, yeah. some pastiche of what they read in Enemy and Mojo. That you know, it's all this yeah. one musical wonderland with fairy lights and everyone everyone's looks a star. Like Iggy. And, yeah, everyone yeah. yeah. yeah, looks like Iggy with the Stooges. Everyone's walking around in bell bottoms and white belts. Yeah, you, and you pull up one American corner. flags on their amps. It Carl Craig's so on one corner and Jack right. White's on the next corner, yeah, and you pull yeah. up down the road and it's there's so Jim Diamond. And I just Bob kids, Seger. Kids going, yeah, I really. <laughs> want to move to Detroit. Oh yeah, that's great. Why don't you yeah. right down on Cass Avenue? Right. Yeah, make sure you bring your Go, car. Yeah. The record, uh, by the way, was free with Multiball Magazine, issue 19. And that's got Meg on the cover of that one? Yes, uh, it's got Meg with a ball on a spring uh, yeah. in three different pictures reminiscent of the first album cover which was also taken by Ko Molina, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I, th- I believe it was. Now they credit her as Ko Molina Zydeco in that yeah, I assume some are pseudonyms. I assume some others might be maiden names or name changes. So the Dirt Bombs also would appear on Christmas Surprise Package Volume 3 via Flying Bomb Records with the song My Last Christmas. You'll remember from our, one of our Christmas specials, our only Christmas special, uh, <laughs> that the White Stripes were also a part of one of these Flying Bomb Christmas packages. And the Dirt Bombs would also back up uh, Andre Williams around this time on two songs on his The Black Godfather LP released via In the Red Records. Based on the description of In the Red Records, uh, this Andre Williams record, quote, The party album of the year, the highly anticipated follow up to Silky, the godfather of R&B Ranch. Andre is backed by the John Spencer Blues Explosion, the Dirt Bombs, Cheater Slicks compulsive gamblers and his touring band the countdowns lord have mercy andre williams stylings might be familiar to uh the jack white crowd or at least our fan base as he has been a major part of two two-star tabernacle seven inch releases which, which feature him pretty prominently two-star tabernacle being one of the groups jack had uh, been a member of which was also headed up i believe by dan john miller it was yes. aka goober of uh, goober and the peas who jack uh, played drums with it all it's all connected James. a lot of common goobs out there mm. there's just gobs of goobs gobs of goobs in 2001 the dirt bombs would release their second album ultra glide in black via in the red recordings which is a collection of soul, R&B, and Motown covers uh, with only one original track on it, Your Love Belongs Under a Rock by, by Mick Collins. <laughs> but the rest are all R&B and soul <laughs> Motown covers uh, by I love like, that title. Stevie Wonder and Smokey Robinson. MSNBC.com I don't know why they were doing this listed Ultra Glide on their list of top albums of the past 20 years the album had one single which was Ode to a Black Man Okay. a five song EP was then released in 2001 as well called Chariots of the Gods with a question mark the the album cover features illustrations of Kama Sutra like positions um it was recorded at Ghetto Recordings in 1999. I love that. Uh, via Jim Diamond. I like these guys. 
Yes, they are. Ve- they have a very good sense of humor. They appeared on the Jack White produced "Sympathetic Sounds of Detroit" compilation in two thousand and one. Uh, yes, uh, which with- we will get to on a future episode. We've made reference to this in the past, but have yet to cover it. Yes, but Jack produced this whole album, included a plethora of various Detroit acts that were close to the Stripes at that time, and including uh, the Jack Detroit Cobras a- and the Soledad Brothers yeah. mm-hmm. and the Dirt Bombs. Yeah who sang Dirt Bomb Blues and I'm Through With White Girls, written by Jim Diamond. I know that one I know. I know that one for some reason. That, that's a good one. And Ben Blackwell can be heard singing back up on the song Shaky Puddin', a Soledad Brothers track. Yeah, two new singles were, were issued in 2002 after all this. Pray For Pills and My Love For You and Australian Sing Along with the Dirt Bomb Singers. Love it. I started a joke started the whole world laughing but I didn't see that the joke was on me both both were released in 2002 I do appreciate how funny these guys are there's an irreverence that I, I do truly appreciate about these songs and titles and everything and you could tell all of them are pretty funny, and even Ben Blackwell is funny, but he's not of the same generation. He's very young compared to all these yeah. people. Like he's touring he with these guys yeah. at, at twenty one, yeah. and these other guys are like in their late thirties. There's definitely definite generational gap. Sort of the Nambla analogy, you know. We've got the older gentleman, oh the God. older experienced gentleman, helping the young buck on his way. That's the kind of what it is. It's sort of that. You know, struggle. That sort of sexual tension makes it work. Two men. Yeah, actually, I think I'm going to go with Ben. Yeah, at least it, it was like that when he was very, very young. It should be noted that that all the while uh, the Dirt Bombs are are pairing these album releases and single releases with with tours. Um, they're they are a touring band. They're they're trying to put on live shows more than more than anything really. Uh, I mean, Jim Diamond talked to us a little bit about that. He told us that they had gone to Australia a bunch and they were doing all these tours in Europe and stuff. They were really all over the world. Definitely. Ben Blackwell did a whole write-up on their Australia tour. He did, like, a diary of their Australia-New Zealand tour. That same year, in 2002, the Dirt Bombs also appeared on several compilation albums and uh, guested on some other uh, folks' albums. Um, But in 2003, the band released their third LP, Dangerous Magical Noise, uh, again via In the Red Recordings. Mick had been wanting to do a bubblegum pop record. This was not the bubblegum pop record that he had promised. Uh, The album was originally going to be done in the style of bubblegum pop, but Collins ultimately chose to stick with a radio-friendly pop-punk style described by the band as being, quote, the car commercial record. It featured a, a single called Earthquake Heart. The album featured a re-recorded version of their contribution to the Sympathetic Sounds compilation I'm Through With White Girls, uh, written and sung by Jim Diamond. To quote Pitchfork about this album, it's stubbornly lo-fi and unexpectedly scrappy. The album is also tremendously listenable. A rhythmic, leg-flailing romp through vintage soul, cool, glam boogie, classic rock thrash, and punk bravado. Sounds good to me. Sounds like a pitchfork Checks review all my boxes. to me. And uh, to quote Mick, this was our pop record. The idea was we wanted to make a pop record. It's not the bubblegum record. I have been promising that for a few years. That is coming soon. I said that in 2003. The band uh, was featured on that Dutch documentary that we had talked about, uh, about mm-hmm. the Detroit scene. 
Yeah, VPRO. Yes, which also profiled the White Stripes. We had gone into it uh, a little bit in e- episodes past, a few episodes we've talked about it. It's a great documentary. Fantastic. But but it, it highlights the Dirt Bombs quite a bit, as well as having Mick Collins play drums to Jack and Meg singing Rated X. That's um, right. That's right. That's a great scene, too. Yeah. People you know, there's a long-running joke in Detroit that... Uh, the typical Detroit rock band is somebody you know, somebody you know, somebody you know, and a drummer. documentary concludes with jack and mick collins bowling you'll see right. two folks bowling that's jack and mick in 2004 they the dirt bombs would headline the the rock city fest in detroit which is jim diamond's final show with the band in 2004 the band also released a split lp with king Khan and the shrines called billiards at 9:30. that album was probably named after the uh, 1959 novel by the german author heinrich boyle which was yeah, I know, I know Heinrich. Yeah. yeah, no, good buddies. He's not Herman the German, but he's he's pretty close. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that that book was uh, was called Billiards at Half Past Nine, which revolves around the theme of split followers. And it was interesting that this was a split LP, so I figured there was probably a connection there. Yeah, and it was also released in Germany, like exclusively in Germany via Sounds of Subterranea. In 2004, the Dirt Bombs did another split record with mixed band The Gories. So the Gories are still in the mix at this point, huh? That's crazy. We'll have to do another episode on the Gories, we, probably. We really have to do a deeper dive into into this. There's just so much information out there because their career is so long. And yeah. So this is more of a, let's get to know you, Dirt Bombs. And then another split single was released in 2004 with the band Adult, Detroit Natives Adult, who would also later do a third live at Third Man Records. That's right. So we've heard yes. them, their name before. Uh, and this this single, Adult, covered a Dirt Bomb song, and the Dirt Bombs covered an adult song. In 2005, the band released If You Don't Already Have a Look, uh, which is a two-disc collection of singles and rarities, as well as new songs, new material. Uh, according to Wikipedia, the band was showcased at the Motor City Music Conference, and later in the year they toured Europe. And then a new split was was issued with uh, the Love Supremes, and the band also appear, appeared in a Gun Club tribute record that year. The band was featured in the documentary It Came From Detroit, and they played a show for the opening of that. Uh, ben Blackwell was interviewed for, for that as well. Ben Blackwell. B-E-N Blackwell. What do you do? I play drums in the Dirt Bombs and I run Cass Records. Yeah, there was there was some uh, yeah some questionable material presented tonight. What did you learn? I don't really know if I learned anything. It was a good movie. I wanted to see the Gories play a full song. I know no one really played a full song, but when they uh, Mick was playing View from Here at the Gold Dollar about '92, I wanted to see all that footage. And I think the movie. Could have, uh, I think any movie could benefit with Gory's footage in it. You're not going to hurt with that. Um, to continue on, um, in 
2007, the, the song Chains of Love was featured in the film The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. Which was directed by Julian Schnabel. Schnabel. Mm-hmm. Schnabel? Yep. Schnabel. Schnabel in 2007, and they were invited to to the show to play at the Cannes Film Festival. That's cool. The band released one single in 2007, a cover of the Black Lips, Oak Trina. And in 2008, via In the Red Recordings, they released their next studio album, We Have You Surrounded. It began in November 2006 as a five-song EP, but it kind of kept getting pushed off, postponing their bubblegum record. But in fact, was was kind of a, a darker record for for the Dirt Bombs, a little bit grittier, so much grittier, in fact, that they used lyrics taken from Alan Moore's poem "Leopard Man at CNA," which is a song that they wrote around that poem called "Leopard Man at CNA." Uh, Alan Moore, uh, famed author, uh, comic book writer. He wrote uh, Watchmen and V for Vendetta and many other things I'm sure you at home know. He's English, and so uh, the Dirt Bomb's very popular in, uh, in the UK. I'm sure he probably ran across him. And uh, Alan Moore uh, is kind of an undergroundy sort of dude, so it would make a lot of sense. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting mix. And in support of the album, the band did tours of the US, Canada, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, music festivals, uh, all sorts of stuff, and would later tour with TV on the radio around what? this time as well. Yep. That's crazy. I had no idea. I mean, that, that definitely matches the time period, but wow, I had no idea. I yeah. like TV on the radio when they came out. I must confess, I haven't caught up with them since 2008 or whatever, but I... Uh... <laughs> you and most other people, Paul. Um, <laughs> I did like I did like that album they had at that time. Five singles were issued in 2008. Cover of a suicide song on the Irish label Infirmary Phonographic. An NXS cover single. Wow. Um, a Sparks cover single. And two two split records uh, via Cass Records. Cass, with, who would distribute the Wax Wings. Yes, Cass Records, is, uh, uh, the yeah. the label of Dirt Bomb Ben Blackwell. In 2010, the Dirt Bombs recorded the title track for Daddy Rockin' Strong, a tribute to Nolan Strong and the Diablos. Okay. And they would release their fifth studio LP in 2011, the album Party Store. Again, pushing back their bubblegum pop <laughs> record. Uh, Party Store features rock covers of early Detroit techno and house music. Wow.
National League. Lumovo, Plager, G, Quarterly. Because he's down on his etiquette. Shari Varys really need. Shara Vary. And a companion remix album was released by Scion's Scion AV label, mm. uh, which did a lot of interviews with, with Mick and the band. Scion, their label, would also eventually put out an Olivia Jean record uh, similarly. I'm sorry? The, an Olivia Jean single. Here it is. Scion AV presents Reminisce. Scion Audiovisual presents Olivia I Jean. I gotcha. Okay, okay. Reminisce, which is from her uh, 2014 album Bathtub Love Killings, released on Third Man, which I enjoy and which I find a lot of people on the internet are really mean about for no reason. <laughs> but yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting choice to do a techno album uh, as covers mm-hmm. by a rock group. There was a, a, an interview with Mick on the brightestyoungthings.com. Uh, they ask, on the subject of these bold covers, let's move to your new album, Party Store. I've never heard a rock band base an album around covering Detroit techno. I've certainly never heard of a techno covers album. Have you? And Mick responds, no. If another techno artist were to do such a thing, they would be unseemly. Uh, mm. the, the interviewer then says, it would be a remix. And Mick says, exactly. Some people pride themselves on the ability to not do covers when making the music. As a rock band... We don't have those issues, and the music is from a completely different genre, so there was no thought of the taste factor or the coolness factor. Uh, He said the original idea was just because it would be fun. There was no thought to making an album or touring on it or ever playing these songs live. The original idea was that we would do them, and they would come out as singles every few weeks. We'd have a new single that would be a 12-inch with a few songs on it. If people look at it as a full length, then invariably they think it's flawed. Well, yeah, that's because it was never intended to be a full length. Hmm. Billy Corgan of the Smashing Pumpkins actually had a a similar idea with with his uh, latest album, which was to record a series of singles, release them over the course of, I think it was 40 years or something (laughs) ridiculous like that. Um, And he stopped that, but... The Dead Weather did that. I mean, they or that they were going to do that with Dodge and Burn, and then they wound up saying, this is ridiculous. Yeah, it seems like everybody <laughs> does that, seems to stop and go, let's just put out the damn album. <laughs> the, uh, the magazine says, uh, most, most bands try too hard to be faithful with a cover, and sometimes that's called for, but it's always more exciting to just say, fuck it, let's go apeshit and just be yourself. That's why I'm so happy with this album. And Mick says, yeah, if you can make a song, as far as doing cover versions go... If you can do a cover version and bring something new to it, it's always better than a slavish imitation. My favorite example is the Beats cover of Tears of a Clown, the Smokey Robinson song. And Mick says, which is theirs? You know it's them. The magazine says, yeah, you're not going to confuse it with Smokey. And Mick says, exactly. But you know the song. You know it's a cover. But it's totally their version, and I appreciate that. It's that one thing, their cover of Tears of a Clown, that was a large inspiration for the Dirt Bombs. They took that song and made it theirs. I figured I could do that. Couldn't I? Let's find out. Yeah. 
And finally, in 2013, Ooey Gooey Chewy Kablooey comes out. There it is. The long-promised bubblegum pop record finally released. It's an album full of dirt-bombed-up 60s-era pop. To quote Spin Magazine, true to the pre-Lancelot Link era, it's aping. Ooey Gooey bounces through 10 songs in less than a half an hour, and where the Dirt Bomb's Detroit Techno tribute had three songs about cars, this time there are three songs about sunny days and three more about eating sweet things. <laughs> well, we could the all use some more sweet things in our lives, right? So that's, that's all right by me. Sunday, big banana split. You and me, baby, now don't forget. One scoop, two scoop, never gonna stop. You got the love with the sugar on top. Baby's got the love with the sugar on top. Baby's got the love with the sugar on top. New Yorker even noticed this one from their ivory tower saying, ooey gooey, chewy kablooey (laughs) isn't a dumb record by a dumb band. It's a successfully simple record by a smart band. And if the New Yorker thinks you're smart, Paul, you best believe you're something, I guess. You get those those little cartoons that the New Yorker makes that no one else seems to get. But if you're a smart band, you'll get it. The Badger said... <laughs> I was Bottoms just up. trying to think of one. Yeah. <laughs> Honey, the cat is meowing today. <laughs> What's the Elaine Bennis one? If you could just tell me why this is supposed to be funny. Oh, it's merely a commentary on contemporary mores. <laughs> you have no idea what this means, do you? No. No. Then why did you print it? I like the kitty. James, I, I did not realize before this episode started because I'm not I'm not the biggest dirt bomb aficionado uh, but I did not realize they were active up until 2013 they're still active they're still active that's remarkable yeah they're 2013 doing... though is you know that's recent history yeah I suppose uh, I mean it's five years ago I suppose but... and they're mostly doing live gigs now I haven't seen much news about them recording new material but I mean they had a huge influence on the Detroit rock scene they are a big part of the detroit rock scene i know i'm saying scene a lot but you know they're they're a big they're a big part of music and uh, sure we're two guys who who never lived in detroit and probably don't know a lot about detroit but they're a big part of you know the music we like and the music we love and they uh they've been kind of for better or worse in the background of a lot of really big bands i mean they would at one point, the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs opened for the Dirt Bombs. And really? years and years later, uh, the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs <laughs> would then have them open for them. Wow. Apparently, they jokingly refer to, and again, this is via Wikipedia, the band jokingly refers to this trend as the Dirt Bombs curse. It's definitely but Paul, a curse. That's, that there is the Dirt Bombs. Well, I have one last really key question that has gone unanswered james in in this episode and that is what on earth does dirt bomb mean now before you answer 
I have taken the liberty of going to UrbanDictionary.com. Urban Dictionary defines dirt bomb as a person who is extremely dirty, raggedy, and usually smelly. They are mostly avoided by society because they are too disgusting. Also, because they are outcasts, they form factions and roam the streets. And the quote they give you is, Hey, I think I smell something. Oh shit, it's the dirt bombs. Run. But that was a fascinating look back at the dirt bombs. What's a dirt bird? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway... Shall we throw it to our third person for this week, do you think? Let's throw it to our third person this week. We'd like to welcome our third person this week, Kate McCoy. Welcome back, Kate. Thanks, guys. It's fun to be back. Yeah. Welcome back, Kate, to our cult. Yes, yes. (laughs) Yeah, let's all slowly chant, we're the third man. Uh, no. Yeah, thanks for coming back. We, we have you on because you are a Dirt Bombs enthusiast, and this week's episode is a Dirt Bomb-centric episode. And we figured, who better than someone who knows the Dirt Bombs a little better than me and Paul to talk about them? Well, you guys are very kind, and I will say, I am certainly a Dirt Bombs enthusiast. I think they are just such a fantastic band so i'm really happy to, there are probably many more people that could speak more knowledgeably about them but i'm excited to be here and share my enthusiasm about them at least so thanks for having me yeah of course yeah we've gone over a little bit of the history of them in this episode but how did you come to find their music and uh, start listening to them so i would have known about the white stripes first and then I think just slowly starting to like hear more about other Detroit bands. I would have known about the White Stripes in the er- like early 2000s. So maybe like 2005, 2006, starting to hear about other bands. And I think the first introduction or the road to the Dirt Bomb started with Bantam Rooster. And they were ah. another two-piece out yeah. of Detroit who could be found like outside of Detroit. They had a record deal, I think, even before the white stripes yeah Mm -hmm. so i listened to them and of course bantam rooster is made up of tom potter who played Mm -hmm. in the dirt bombs and was playing in the dirt bombs probably at the time that i heard of them and so i think that somehow led to hearing about the dirt bombs and of course all the other some of the other great bands in detroit but i loved the dirt bombs just out the gate like it was nothing that i'd ever seen they had two drummers and i think that's what was so fascinating yeah Mm -hmm. you know it's like two halves like mick collins of course is the lead singer but you guys have probably heard this in interviews too like one of the things that they'll say is a bomb could go off and blow up half the stage and you could still have a band playing (laughs) and um i don't know like that as somebody who was just starting out on drums the whole concept was really cool i liked their music and i think i told you all in a previous episode when I started playing drums, like I wanted, my whole goal was just to play like every White Stripes album. And so, yeah. but, mm-hmm. and I did that, but the Dirt Bombs was the second, like that was the second I was like, oh, I'm definitely going to play through their songs. And sure. I, my very first eBay purchase was Horn Dog Fest. Ah, yes. Their first album. Yeah. Yes. So I got it. And it, of course it has that great artwork. I don't know if you can see it, but it has, yeah, that's it awesome. has that great artwork. And of course it has the furries on it, right. um, <laughs> which I didn't at the time, you know, it just, we just weren't in the web culture that we're in now. Mm. So, you know, like as time has gone on, I've learned more about them, but I also have a, I have a dear friend who lives, 
who was from California, but who mm-hmm. was very close with somebody from In the Red Records or Burger Records, maybe. But they knew of the dirt bombs. And she was like, oh, yes, they're great. They're great. So I feel like I, again, sort of had like some good guidance saying like, yes, listen to them. They're good. So you came at them through Bantam Rooster. That's crazy. That is interesting. And we didn't talk too much about a lot of the band members' origins. I mentioned mostly the current core group, and then I listed a bunch of the members. But uh, yeah, Tom Potter of Bantam Rooster fame was in the band for a while. Yeah, so. so I guess he was there when Jim Diamond was there. And I feel like that was a pretty good, like you guys will know better because you've looked, but I feel like from the late 90s to the early 2000s, there's a pretty solid run of that particular lineup of like Pat, Ben, mm-hmm. Tom, Jim, and Mick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I bet. Do you guys ever read Ben Blackwell's blog? Uh, yeah, occasionally. I uh, I go there occasionally because he's... It's funny. They even call him uh, in an interview with the Dirt Bombs. Mick and Co. are talking and they say, uh, Ben is the most garage out of all of us. And then Mick goes, nah, he's a journalist. <laughs> <laughs> I think... What, so, so one of the things that... I came to his, like, he's had the blog, I think, for a long time, but I came to his blog later. A thing that I always like to do is, like, just go on his blog and I'll just search dirt bombs and then I'll read the entries, like, over the years or Mitt Collins or White Stripes or whatever. It's sort of like a rabbit hole because he's an excellent writer and it's just easy to kind of go down that path. But he has told just kind of like a tour diary, really some really funny mm. tales of like them being in Australia together. I just can't imagine like what those early dirt bombs times were like because they're definitely a feel good yeah. band and they don't, you know, they're not uptight. They're not stressed out. It seems like it was fun and it is fun. So that's, that's cool. I think I brought it up in the episode, if not on the air, then off the air. But I think I read that very same tour thing through Australia that Ben wrote. And he was talking about how Jim really, really wanted a hotel room, and he called, like, dibs on it. And uh, Ben did everything in his power to make sure that Jim did not get the hotel room. Um, it was it was very interesting, uh, very funny dynamic yeah. the group had. That Australia trip made an impression, because Jim did mention that when we interviewed him as well. He mentioned Australia once or twice, and I think in relation to the Dirt Bombs. It sounds like it was just a really fun band, or it continues to be a very yeah. fun band to be in if you're fortunate enough to be in it as a sort of a party atmosphere with that many musicians at play, you know? And I think it's kind of cool, too, that most of them, like Mick Collins and Jim Diamond and certainly Tom Potter... But even Comalina, all of those people at least were in multiple bands. You know, I think like Ben Blackwell, I really just kind of associate with the Dirt Bombs. Sure. And Pat Patano, I think, too. Like, I just kind of associate those two with the Dirt Bombs. But everybody else that's kind of run through there, like Troy Gregory, he's like he seems to have done a lot of stuff musically. So I think it seems like all of them have played in a bunch of different bands, too. So I think that Bantam Rooster was kind of an odd way to get there. But all those guys mm-hmm. were playing in, like, multiple good bands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Obviously, your first introduction to them record-wise was through Horndog Fest. Do you have a favorite era of Dirt Bombs music? Do you prefer the original stuff? Do you prefer the covers? Do you prefer the soul, funk, R&B, or perhaps the the Bubblegum album, which they had promised and promised and promised until they finally released? They fi- yeah, they finally <laughs> delivered it, right? So my favorite albums are always Horndog Fest is going to be the first one. I definitely think it has that like in the garage feel. I know mm-hmm. that I've heard Mick Collins say that the Dirt Bombs is really, it's not a garage band. It's a, mm-hmm. like I think he's even said it's just a single band or you know they're just Mm -hmm. releasing just singles initially but then they kind of did the albums as singles but I love 
Corn Dog Fest, and I love Ultra Glad in Black. I just thought that was such a mm. tremendous album. When Mick Collins sings Chains of Love, I just sort of feel like I can't wait to be in the front row or, or close to the front row sometimes when that happens and just, yeah, you know, just swing. Like, <laughs> I just can't break it Those are my favorites, anyway. Yeah, yeah Ultra Glide, it's such a departure from their first album. Like, that's their second album, and to go from Horn Dog Fest to Ultra Glide is such a huge departure, but it's such an interesting choice, and I, I really enjoyed that album a lot. And it shows off just how different their musical tastes can go, and I know we talk about it in the episode, I keep saying that, but, you know, Mick is coming at this from the perspective of he listens to everything. There's yes. He thinks life's boring if you don't. So, right. it it's a way to, uh, I don't know, it, it reminds me of what Jack White's doing now with his experimentation, you know, with his yeah. uh, with his soul and funk and R&B, you know, they're, yeah. they're putting a, a rock spin on a lot of these different genres, and I appreciated that. And yeah. alienating a lot of weirdos on the internet. <laughs> Absol- <laughs> That's yes, fine. Absolutely. You know what? That's fine. <laughs> have you ever uh, had the pleasure of seeing him live? No, I, so I have, the, I'm wearing the shirt now, and like mm-hmm. I said, like our friend of the show, friend in real life, Callie Durga, got this for me when she saw them last year, and I really wanted to go to Detroit to see them, but it just, That's it just right, financially yeah. wasn't possible. And I look all the time, you know, like I follow them on social medias, Facebook, I guess, is, is where I mm-hmm. see most of the stuff. And it seems like there'll be a show that pops up because I think they played, didn't they play in Europe this past summer somewhere? As soon as I did the research for this episode, I looked up to see where their tour dates were and none of them were nearby. (laughs) Damn. And just with Third Man being so close, and I feel like I've asked Ben Blackwell this, but it's been a long time. I was like, why aren't the Dirt Bombs like in Nashville? And I think that there was a time where they were like just so close to having a show here which would be great, but it doesn't even, it doesn't have to be a Nashville show. You know, I'd go to Detroit. I'll go somewhere else to see them. It just has to yeah. be affordable. And it seems like, I, th- I feel like a lot of their, maybe some of their more recent shows, like one was in New York and that just, there was no way. I mean, that's an expensive trip, you know, even if you're not mm-hmm. seeing a yeah. show, but. Isn't Mick doing like a lot of DJ sets in New York? And I think Callie was telling us about that. It seems like, just based on his Twitter feed, like he'll post DJing in Brooklyn. or So it does seem like he DJs a great deal. Mm-hmm. Seems like a cool guy. I'm trying to think of the analog of who he is to other musical movements because I feel like what he did was like, I wouldn't call it a super group. That's the Detroit music scene boiled down into one group. Right. I don't know, maybe the Moody Blues is sort of a decent example of that from that sort of English pop rock scene or maybe like the Yardbirds or something. I don't know. So this plucked picked pick and pieces sort of thing. But it's kind of amazing that he was able to synthesize all of that down. And he was obviously the elder statesman of the group. So he was able to sort of shepherd the youngsters like Ben Blackwell, right? He was like a kid. He was a little yeah. kid when he joined the group, dropped out of school for journalism, as you say, and then uh, and then just became a professional musician and third man. Yeah, it's kind of remarkable what he was able to put together. I think that it, what's so interesting, too, is, you know, 
he had that kind of early success and learning experience of the Gories of being in that three person yeah. mm-hmm. band and touring and having some success, but really having trial and error. And I really, in a way, what he's done with the Dirt Bombs is kind of what we probably think Jack White did with the White Stripes. Mm-hmm. The Dirt Bombs is sort of mixed baby, right? He writes the songs. He says, this is what I want to happen. And I'm sure he allows collaboration to some yeah. extent. But just in talking with him on Twitter, you know, which is, is just here or there, I think I asked him one time, do the drummers always play the same fills? And he said they do, but I really wish that they would play different fills. Mm-hmm. So it seems like he's definitely open to things, but it sort of seems like he sort of said, okay, this is how it's going to... Maybe that's why it works so well. I don't, I don't know, yeah. but I read an interview where he said the Dirt Bombs wasn't ever meant to last. I just kind of flubbed the follow-through, and <laughs> I just think it's such a great expression. Yeah. But thank God, you know, like it's just such a, they're such a great band. It's just so fun to listen to and, you know, the different people that have been a part of it. I am still trying to figure out, you guys may know, I know that maybe one of their first drummers was E-Wolf, who's a, like yes. a music photographer. I'm always trying to figure out who that is. Like, <laughs> yes. I, in fact, James and I just talked about it on the show because he mentioned E-Wolf and E-Wolf did the photography for Distill yes. and, and a bunch of other third man related stuff. And I looked and looked for, let me tell you, I think they're all using pen names back then because I looked <laughs> for this E-Wolf person. There was the design studio that put together Artes Graficos that did the layout and stuff. They, I think these people are made up. I don't know who they are. <laughs> it's a little distressing to me because I can't find them on the internet. And if they're not on the internet, they must not exist. They, they must not exist, right? Yeah. Uh, so I, I feel like that too. I feel like E-Wolf also has a great photo that he has taken of the Dirt Bombs after a show. And I think it's in the book, Detroit Rock City. But it's the show's over and both the drummers are standing on their bass drums and they're kind of facing the crowd like, you know, good night. But it's just a really powerful. I just it's just one of my favorite like rock and roll show photos. So I've always wondered, who is he? Like, he's clearly a friend of the band. Like, who is he? I mean, just statistically speaking, odds are he is one of Jack White's brothers. (laughs) There's there's so many of them damn things. It's bound to be one of them. Yeah, maybe. I mean, there's there's bakers. There's there's everything. (laughs) There might as well be an e-wolf, an electronic wolf, if you will. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I have no idea. I just, I I can't, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's out there, and I'm sure I just didn't dig hard enough, but it'll be a smell effect, I'm sure, at some point. Oh, I hope somebody does smell effect. With any luck, someone is screaming at their car stereo or their iPhone or whatever, and we'll hear about it later. Yes, unless it's in a yonder pouch, in which case... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> what? I, I mean, not to get off topic, but man, so you guys have been a part of that. You have been in the groups and you've seen some of the controversy surrounding that too, huh? Woof. Yeah. It is... It's rough. It's rough out it's, there. I've kept my voice down... Yeah, that's what Jack wants. He doesn't want us to have phones. He's never wanted us to have phones. And he has a photographer taking photos of the damn show. Like, it's not that he's not considering why you want it. Like, he's doing that. And and look, this is coming from a guy who compulsively takes photos and videos at shows because I like having that unique memory. Whatever. That that notwithstanding, Jack is trying to accommodate that by providing the shit. So that, and now the headlines are just going nuts over it. Oh my it's the new guacamole gate. It's It's been, yeah. um, I don't ever want to 
like I am on social media, I think just, you know, like everybody else is, and it's to connect with people. And one of my favorite things is the Thinking Person Jack White's group, but I'm in some of the other third man groups as well. And one of the things that somebody else said this, the bitching and counter bitching was just so epic. And mm-hmm. I mean, people just saying horrible things to each other yeah. about like, I need my phone, get over your, I mean, just like, oh, so many people were so angry and upset. And I was like, I just don't like that side of social media at all and I don't like any of that drama. Yeah, it's terrible and in fact it's funny because this podcast has brought me a lot of joy getting to know Kate as you say the Thinking Persons Jack White group some of these other places and getting to know other fans. However, it has also plugged me into a culture I did not realize existed and I was kind of happy being ignorant of because I could just kind of enjoy things for what they were at the time and this is sort of a separate like weird meta argument or whatever but like James had to James had to tell me that people didn't like Olivia Jean like I had to learn that it's like how little kids learn racism like I had to learn people don't like Olivia Jean Uh, the same thing with like Lazaretto versus Blunderbuss I like Lazaretto more than Blunderbuss I had to learn that that is a controversial statement Uh, So when it comes to things like this and connected by love and all that stuff, like, I don't know if I want to know. I'm with you 110%. I mean, I don't really care what people like or don't like. I just sort of feel like I grew up in a time where you could disagree with somebody and still be their friend or be polite to them. We're just in a, it's just an interesting time where it's almost like if somebody, not everyone does this, but it's the minority of people, just like you say, that you become aware of that you disagree with or they disagree with you and it's an attack it's not a Mm -hmm. we agree to disagree it's an attack and i hate that piece somebody told me about the same thing you know along the lines of podcasting or as you do anything and you get good at it now that there's internet reviews that you know what's the internet without a troll like that's how you know you've made it like when somebody kind of trolls (laughs) you or um you know kind of says those mean things like uh that person sucks right like like, yeah I, I say that with also the caveat, like, I'm happy I'm in it, and the good outweighs the bad. And if sure, we weren't yes. in it, we would have never met people like yourself or Callie or uh, anybody else that we interact with. I'm very grateful for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. To stay off topic a little bit, yeah, were, okay. you able to, uh, <laughs> were you able to secure any, any seats to the, the upcoming shows for Jack? <sighs> We're in the middle of planning a wedding, and so ah uh, yes, so traveling to a show just isn't, and and we're not even having like we're not even really having like a real wedding, like we're having our immediate family, and we're gonna go out to yeah. you know, but it's expensive, like to have pictures oh, yeah. and stuff like you guys know you're both married, and yeah. financially it didn't make sense, and honestly I'm just holding out hope for a Nashville show or just a Tennessee show, Knoxville, yeah, Jackson, Memphis. Like, that's doable. You'll get something. Yeah, yeah. I think you'll like, get I, something. I'm crossing my fingers. I was excited yeah. to see that he was even adding shows already. For places that had sold out, I mm-hmm. saw that he added some additional shows. DC got one. Where are you guys going? I'm going to take Ariel to her first Jack White show in Cooperstown, New York. Yay! So, yeah, we're going to make a vacation out of it and see Jack at the tail end of it. Yeah. So that'll be nice. That and is then nice. I've got an embarrassment of riches because 
I had pre-sale problems on Monday or whenever. Yeah, the tickets went up on Monday. I was not able to get because he's not playing L.A. He recorded half the damn album here and he's not playing L.A. But um, (laughs) what I found out is no one wants to play L.A. because no one wants to deal with the crowds. I couldn't get into San Diego. I didn't even think about Santa Barbara because I was thinking about San Diego. And then I got sucked into a meeting that I could not miss that started at the exact same Uh. minute that the pre-sale started. So I'm sitting there refreshing the browser like a madman for two minutes and it's all gone. And then I had to go to this meeting and James was a champion amongst men and got me a ticket for San Francisco. And so I was like really, really grateful for that. He's a good brother, James. Good brother. He's a very good brother. Very good brother. But then on on the second pre-sale, I was able to get two tickets for San Diego. So I'm going to try and sell the San Francisco one, make sure somebody can use it and not make anything. But Now that the pre-sale's over, I'm going to see if I can actually just see if I can transfer the ticket to you or sell the ticket on Ticketmaster because they sent me an email saying like, don't let that ticket go to waste. You could transfer or sell. Anywho, uh, to to bring us on back. Uh, yes. <laughs> Jack White, please play Nashville. Dirt Bombs, also please play Nashville. Mick, please come on Nashville. down to Nashville. Yes. Kate needs to see you guys live in concert. So do I, quite frankly. I'm going to probably just go to New York, spend $3,000, and uh, (laughs) see you DJ over there. Um, (laughs) But uh, before we leave, is there a a favorite Dirt Bombs track uh, that you would recommend to me and Paul? Um, My favorite, hands down, is Can't Stop Thinking About It. Like, I just love it. It's one of the first songs that I learned how to play on the drums. It's just gritty. It starts off with Mick Collins just doing that. Ugh. I can't. I mean, I obviously <laughs> doesn't probably translate, but it's just one of my favorite rock and roll songs. I, I love that song. It always, it never fails to put me in a good mood. how we'll play this segment out thank you so much for joining us Kate. Oh, thank we, you we guys. really really appreciate it it's always um, so fun kate it is always a pleasure and we, we're just really happy to have you be a, a listener to the show and such a supporter it means it means the world to us it really does oh so thank i'm just you. i'm so excited it's always exciting to see what's next what's next so <laughs> i continue to be excited and continue to be listening so keep it up well thanks well, thank you very much right. and to mick collins who is uh, who we've been tweeting at tonight hey you're always welcome on the show mick like we we'd like to have you on so hey you know Come on. (laughs) Yes. There was one thing that I read that I had forgotten that I read in the Detroit Rock City book that I just thought was so funny. And several people mentioned it. And I don't know if it's something that should be included or not, but it's funny to me. Mm -hmm. They were talking about band practices and like driving around in Detroit and, and practicing together. And it's a big band, right? Because there's two of everybody except for the lead singer. 
And so mm-hmm. somebody would always, they say, have to pick up Mick Collins. And so literally three different people in the book, because it's done kind of in a series of interviews or blurbs, if you guys haven't read it, they mention driving Mick Collins and they say that they coined the term driving Miss Lazy. But that's <laughs> what they were calling, like, when they would have to pick him up and they would say... What? Are you making a surprised face? Paul, what I are you heard, doing? I just heard from Mick. He says, give me a number. <gasps> oh, shit. Should I should I put the should I put the number on the internet? Because that's what I'm gonna have to do. These aren't private messages. Uh, I just feel like it's a once in a lifetime thing. You can change it later, but maybe that's the wrong approach. You do have a wife. (laughs) (laughs) You'll just have to get a a new cell phone. That's not a big deal, right? (laughs) I'm gonna tweet my number at him right now. Okay. He says, "Oh shit, I forgot. Give me a number." All right, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. This is probably a mistake. Uh, I'm gonna do it. Yeah. I'm doing it. Do it. You can't DM it. <laughs> I can't DM it. He's not. He doesn't follow us. Wait. Do you have your? Do you have his email? Email it to him and say I emailed it to you. Do you want to give him my I, number? I'm looking out for. for <laughs> I'm looking I mean, out I'll for t- safety's sake. <laughs> I know, and that's your thinking. You're being the thinking person here. I'm just excited. <laughs> James is the thinking person. James's group. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, do it, uh, do it. Safety be damned. Oh, oh. No, I'm. I'm joking. <laughs> um, you tweeted it to him, and then he yeah. called. Could you then delete the tweet, or but yes. enough people would have seen it? Well, I'm, all right, I'm going to put it, and then I'm going to delete it. Okay. I hope this, right. I'm not trying to give you bad advice. You need to do what you're you feel n- good, good about. Yeah. Oh, Suzanne is going to be so pissed. I am, I'm, um, but I'm so excited. Well, while we're waiting for Mick to call <laughs> us, I guess. Okay, uh, continue. Your, you want to continue your story? Yes, I'm sorry. I'm I sorry. just I saw his face. It was so excited, and I was like, something's happening. I'm but, sorry. Um, I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm so sorry. No, no, totally fine. So anyway, I think that they were just saying they had a term for if you had to pick up Mick Collins, and it was driving Miss Lazy. And and then I think <laughs> Mick kind of responded, and he's like, I don't know what they're talking about. I had a car, but I just thought it was funny because it was like three different people that kind of mentioned that. First phrase well i can just share this personally you know i'm a teacher and i work in Mm -hmm. the school system not nashville city schools i used to now i work in a school system just outside of the city and Mm -hmm. um, one of the benefits of my job now is i get to work with a lot of different classes and one of the classes i get to work with is a transitions program and we get to do a lot of cool things for kids who have been in an alternative school but who are kind Mm -hmm. of bridging out and are going to go to community college or transition into trade school or do something different. They've kind of had some good changes. And one of the things that we got to do a few years back was paint a stairwell in an elementary school as a project. And Hmm. so our theme was every stairwell was being painted sort of in the theme of like a continent. And ours was the Arctic. So there's polar bears and penguins and, and, you know, there's a narwhal. It's, you know, stuff like that. But one of the things that we painted was Mick Collins. I found a picture of him and I had been talking about the dirt bombs or the gories or something with that group. And we found a picture of him and the kids painted him as kind of like a dressed up, like a tiger in like a hoodie and sunglasses. And I'll send you the picture. I mean, I don't think it does it justice, but I, when it was his birthday or something on Twitter, I said, Mick Collins, my class, we think about you often because we pass you in the stairwell. And I kind of spliced <laughs> the picture that we used as the, the model. And then I put the picture of what we painted. 
and he messaged back and he's like, oh, very cool. That was at my old office. Then, of course, they made me move offices. So I left that, <laughs> that painting. But, but I just thought that was a fun way to kind of spread some garage rock love to young oh, kids. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh. oh. Hey, is this Mick? Hello? Hi, this is Mick Collins. Hey, Mick. Okay. There seems like there was a real weird break in the interview there, listeners. Uh, but as Kate and James and I will tell you, uh, that real weird break there is a to-be-continued for next week when we will be airing for you our uh, impromptu discussion with Mr. Vic Collins of the Dirt Bombs. Uh, so, listeners, dear listeners, that's what just happened there. And um, now we're going to go back to the outro that James and I did before we realized any of this happened. <laughs> James, I I learned so much about the dirt bombs today. We have covered ourselves in filth and learned about so many delightful, delightful garage rock songs and and facts. And Paul, that was an excellent that was an excellent uh, episode. If I do say so myself. Oh, I loved every minute of it, James. But uh, but now it's time for some shout outs. What do you say? I say. That's a great idea. I'm going to shout about lots of things, but definitely including some fans and people who have been uh, liking us. Specifically today, we'll do on Facebook. Uh, people such as Nicole Fernandez. Thank you, Nicole. Mariel Salunte. Erica Alameda. That's what I said. Alameda. Alameda. I know that. But where is Alameda? Anthony Moratin. Jemich Verana. He's dying out there. Let's <laughs> Shat Abordo Haji. Commendador Lynx G. Uh, Mary Santos. I feel like most of these are bots. Pancho Cod Joanna Toison. James. <laughs> I love you, Pancho. <laughs> I love you, Pancho. Thank you, Isa Fernandez-San. Uh, we love you. All right, Paul. Uh, James, that's been so many great new listeners to the show. If you'd like to interact with us on social media, we'd love to read your name on the show, or try to in some cases. Uh, but we also have some regular listeners to the show, people who are regularly interacting with us on Facebook and Twitter, etc., and uh, we're really thankful for you all. And uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna start in a different place of this list. We'd like to thank Brian Walter. Be nicer to me. Thank you, Brian Walter. We have Brendan and Smith. We have Wilkins on Sunshine, Yvette Wilkins. We have S.A. Franco, whom we don't know. We have David Poe. We have Eric Andrew Dotson over here. We have LOL 2.0 and lots of laughs there. We have Amy Hart, the heart of the operation. The Red Red Rain Prosper, Adrian King, the punk rock queen, the third woman in spirit, third person in spirit every week, Kelly Durga. Eileen, we see you over there. Corsano, Andre, Ice Cold, Lie Man, My Oh Me, It's Me Oh My. We have Jeremy Riles keeping us on the rails and Kate McCoy, the bones of the operation. So thank you all. We really appreciate it. You're all great. Keep being great. You know, why not? Yeah. 
And if you want to keep being great, you could always check out our Facebook at facebook.com slash thirdmen. You can find us on Twitter at thirdmencast on, on, on there. You can tumble with us on Tumblr, thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com. Our WordPress site is the thirdmen.wordpress.com where we post our show and occasionally show notes. You can email us at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. You can email us some listener questions if you'd like. We're putting that together. That'll be an episode coming up in the next few weeks. You can also find us on Spreaker. That's the iHeartRadio podcasting situation over there. Just go on Spreaker, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R, and search The Third Men on there. You can also find us on YouTube, where occasionally I'll put up a visualizer of some sort or animation of some sort as well. And please do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And I mean it. If you could help us out, rate and review on iTunes, that would be uh, immensely helpful. A lot of you out there have already done it, but it really helps put our name out there. And tell a friend. Yeah, iTunes, for all the weird Apple updates we've been getting lately, they actually made it easier to do that on your phone, which I noticed, uh, to rate and review, because it used to be a whole rigmarole, and now it's fairly simple to do. So if you could just take, like... 10, 15 seconds out of your day and rate and review our uh, podcast, it, it does help a tremendous deal. So thank you for those of you who have done it already. And for those of you who hadn't, if you'd be so kind, it'd be wonderful uh, so we can keep bringing this show to you. We have uh, a, a, a next week, James. February 5th is going to be the debut of the Yesterday and Today podcast. If you'd like to investigate further, please download and listen to the first episode of the Yesterday and Today podcast. That is the Beatle podcast that our father, Wayne Kaminsky, put together that we are producing for you and bringing it to you. Uh, but uh, it's it's a really fun, informative, really cool music-driven podcast. So yeah, check that out. That is mm-hmm. next week, February 5th. We'd like to thank Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti for the help in recording of our theme song, We're the Third Men. And we'd also like to thank Susanna Roundtree for the intros and outros of our program. And James, yes, I think, I think that might do it for this week. Yes, and as always, I will be looking for the dirtiest bar to call a home. I, too, will be looking for a dirt home, and we will see you next episode, or in some cases next week, if you listen to the Yesterday and Today podcast, We're the Third Men! <laughs> Bye. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. No uh, and. No. Jason. Jason, can you please plug in? I love that. Can you please plug in? Yeah. Is this audio coming through? I think so. <laughs> Jason, Jason, uh, Bob is about to go, ah, oh, peanuts. <laughs> Rats. Uh, also happy to hear the high school marching band rehearsing next door. That'll be fun to edit out for you. Um, <laughs> Brennan, a lot of early folk music. From, ah, cat. <laughs> from blues musicians. Where the Lomaxes introduced 
every new brand of turkey that I've produced. Oh, God, Carl. Are you really being Carl Butterball right now? Kona almost swallowed a pterodactyl's foot, but I stopped her. You heard it here first, folks. Pterodactyls <laughs> are alive and well, and my dog killed one. Good job, Kona. You want to go to Jurassic Park? No, but that's okay. My blood sugar's dropping, and I'm going to take it all out on James. Is it really a butcher, though, if it's a fish? Could you be a fish butcher? I wonder. <clears throat> so as uh, again, as Brennan points out, uh, Alan pulled something similar that while uh, similar to that while at the while introducing the Paul. But oh, that's right. Yeah, you were in the middle of a butterball. Let's <laughs> let's let's not. I'll edit that part out too. <laughs> um, I had the privilege, James, of watching <laughs> that unfold on a delay, so I got your audio before I got to your facial <laughs> expression. Hey, Paul. Uh, hey, James. I'm I'm, uh, I'm considering being a co-host on a podcast about Jack White. What do you think? Jack White? Who's that? Is he the star well, of Jumanji? Get it? <laughs> boop, boop, beep, boop. This is our new character. Callie, I know you'll eventually know, so hit us up. Yeah. I, yeah. Callie uh, will got- eventually know it all. I. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Real talk. I'm Paul Kaminsky. And I'm James Kaminsky. So, yeah. But I mean, yeah. If I you mean, wanna if you wanna take a dump all over my fun, you know, sure. Let's take a fun dump. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, go go ahead, James. I've interrupted you enough. Forget what I was saying. I was talking about shaky pudding. Yep. Shaky pudding. Otherwise known as jello. <laughs> woof, woof, woof. Uh, that part of my notes not super clean. Get that movie, Pacho.